welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast series. This series is brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and is hosted by myself, Jennifer Sproul, Dominic Walters and Catherine Barnard. How we work is in the early stages of profound transformation. Over the next decade, the entire nature of how we work will change. Technology, evolving socio-cultural attitudes and behaviours, globalisation, climate change, and these are just some of the trends impacting the way we work in the 2020s. While many aspects of work will change in the coming years, some things remain constant. One of those is the role communication plays in our ability to create understanding, meaning, and enable people to perform at their best, both individually and collectively. How we communicate sits at the heart of organisational success. World-class communication transforms working lives by helping people feel informed, connected and purposeful. When we feel seen and heard, we feel our contribution matters. With change as the new normal, the work of the internal communication profession has never been more important. And in this podcast series, we explore the changing world of work to identify the opportunities for the internal communication profession. We believe that a better understanding of the future of work will help us deliver better communication strategies for our organisations. And when we better serve our organisations, by default, we future-proof our careers. We hope you find this podcast series thought-provoking and encourages you to really see the opportunities that lie ahead as the world of work continues to change. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of our podcast series where we're looking at the future of internal communication. Today, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the changing workplace and the future of work and and actually what is the digitally enhanced workplace, the opportunities, the disadvantages and how we can all make sense of that. I'm obviously back with my regular co-hosts, Dominic Walters and Catherine Barnard, but today we're thrilled to be joined by Justine Stevenson, who is a fellow of the Institute of Internal Communication and has worked in internal communication for, she let me say this, over 20 years um, across a number of organisations. So first of all, welcome, Justine. I'll let you just tell a little bit more about your background in the internal communication profession. Thanks, Jen. Yes, as you say, I have been working in internal communication for some time now. I've spent time working in a variety of organizations um, in central government, in finance, in FMCG. Um, and I've, uh, I've done a lot of work, particularly on change communication. I've run teams. We have done lots of business as usual. But the main thing that I found myself doing is working in change communication, supporting major change programs technological change, organisational change, culture change, the kind of things that we're faced with every day. Well, fantastic, Justine. Based upon that experience that you've just mentioned and that very broad career that you've had, um, what's been the biggest technological change that you've seen in your career? And while you're thinking of that, let me add an extra question, which is what changes have we had in the expectations that leaders have towards internal communication as a discipline over that time? I guess two questions. What about technological change, the biggest? And secondly, how have leaders changed their expectations? Well, I'll fess up at this point that when I began my career uh, before internal communication as a journalist, uh, we were still typing on typewriters stories on pink slips. So the technological change that I've seen in my working life has been enormous. Um, I think certainly in terms of internal communication, um, the using email, the internet, 
that's been the biggest thing. And who would have ever thought when I first started working in central government in internal comms that we would be recording ourselves on our phones and sending those videos around to our colleagues. So technological change has been enormous. I would say, obviously, the internet and email has been the biggest change that I've seen. And as regards leaders, I think what that's really driven is an assumption and and rightly an expectation in leaders that they can be closer to their people. Previously, when you weren't able to reach all of your colleagues, unless you only had a, enough colleagues that you could take to the pub and buy a round for, you couldn't feel as close to them. You know, you you would very rarely see them. If you had to send them a fax or a telex or a letter to get in touch with them, the relationship was was really quite distant. But now leaders can sit in front of the, all of their colleagues, wherever they are in the country, in the world, and talk to them directly, and they can hear back from them. And I think rightly, leaders expect that closer relationship with colleagues as a result. <laughs> And Justin, how has that changed the conversation that you've had or are having with leaders? It it depends a lot on the leader. Um, I think one <laughs> of, one of the things um, that that's that's been noticeable to me is that um, real desire from leaders to hear what colleagues think, and so what they're asking for is a dialogue rather than before it was much more of a broadcast. And that brings a lot of challenges for everybody, um, you know, for, for people who are looking to ask questions, to give feedback, particularly when it's difficult and in challenging situations. And then for leaders receiving that and internal communicators and, and other colleagues in organizations, then trying to respond to that feedback. So there's a real desire to hear what colleagues say. The real challenge then is how do you respond to that in a meaningful way? So I think it's really interesting what you say there, Justine, about um, how changes in the way that we work by default um, change the nature of how leaders can and must communicate with their audiences. Um, What would you say has been the biggest accelerant that you've seen of change in the the 2020s? I don't think any of us can kind of look beyond the last year really and and dealing with the pandemic to and and not reference that in it being a big big change in organizations and i think the biggest thing that i've noticed in it is that that kind of um choice that colleagues have seen a, a choice that they perhaps never foresaw before and that's it's been a difficult thing to achieve, uh, particularly when you think, you know, back to March last year in, in 2020, when we'd suddenly send everybody home if they'd been working in offices and, and we have to find new ways to communicate with them. But all of a sudden, we did find that we could communicate with colleagues wherever they were, even if they were working at home. We could find ways to connect with them even though it was sometimes challenging. And we could find ways to support them uh, regardless of how they were working and where they were working. So I think that element of choice will con- will 
continue. Colleagues will want to have a degree of choice and I think employers will want to have a degree of choice as well, depending on circumstances. So I think that's one thing is that kind of demand for different kinds of flexibility. I wouldn't say necessarily more flexibility, but different kinds of flexibility. I think the other thing that we're going to find is is obviously economic. Um, the we are going to go back into economies which will look very different to ones that we left before uh, the pandemic. And I think that's going to mean big, big changes for lots of organisations. Uh, some of them will be obvious. You know, there are, are many, um, many sectors, thinking of retail and hospitality in particular, that are, are very different as we go back. Um, and I think, you know, that's going to affect, with a knock-on effect, lots of other businesses. So that how we deal with those economies and how they look in the future, particularly global economies, because it isn't going to be equal as we come out of the pandemic, that's going to, to mean big changes for organisations. But mm. then also continued technology. Um, you know, who knows what's around the corner? Mm. I think it's really interesting what you say. I mean, long, long, long before we even heard of, of coronavirus and, and COVID, whatever we choose to call it, there was an argument rising in the States um, from some HR kind of researchers and experts around uh, what was deemed to be the mass customization of work um, as, a, as an emergent trend. And I think your point about choice reflects exactly that. You know, um, we've proven the concept of, of remote working. It seems that um, when, you know, a major frustration point for people requesting remote working previously had been that the organization might say that the tech wasn't there to enable it. And of course, yet we managed to pivot very quickly in a matter of days um, when we needed to. So I think, you know, we are going to look at much more customised workplaces moving forward. And I think ostensibly what that means is that we have to be open to um, new ways of organising ourselves across all the traditional work disciplines, which is fascinating in and of itself. I mean, that's an enormous scope shift. Absolutely. And, and it's equally exciting and terrifying. For sure. <laughs> and that's why we're here, isn't it? To, to, to try and make sense of the terrifying, but hopefully walk away still feeling excited about the power of what we can do as a profession in, in, in so much that's going on. And I think that's really interesting about, you know, we, we look at the economics that are changing. We look at how there's choice and trust and enablement. And it is kind of really, really overwhelming. But, and Justine, I know you've had these conversations and I'm sure Dom and you might have heard these as well and Kat as well, is we talk about this thing of employee engagement. You know, one of the things that, that we drive towards that's what we're here to create that's what we're here to do is to drive that and engagement equals productivity is the biggest thing that we've come up with but is that really what we're here to do and is it really employee engagement if we talk about economics and global globalization and and making money and the pressures and the leaders and what they need and the choice of their people is does, does employee engagement as a measure of something we're driving towards really matter what is actually the, the, I guess the successful notion of the future of internal communication and, it, and its contribution in such a high flux element of change. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there has been that trend more recently where we have bucketed internal communication and engagement together. And indeed, you know, many job titles put those two together. And and I think, you know, we have increasingly used both of them as a kind of shortcut to put all of these things together. And and I think that I I understand how that happens, but I think there's a bit of a danger if we don't step back and make sure that we understand that employee and engage employee comms and employee engagement very very interlinked but they are different things and so i think for me you know em- employee engagement is is vital uh, for the reasons that you've said uh, you know the only reason that a function that looks in, at employee engagement or indeed internal comms exists is to help the organization be successful in its objectives. And and if your objectives are to make money for shareholders, that's what we're there to do. So we we have to make sure that we understand what we're doing and how we contribute to that because it's vital to the organization's success. For me, the biggest thing that internal comms does around engagement is to translate what are sometimes quite complex processes and theories and ideas into things that colleagues can understand but crucially that they can be part of the conversation because often lots of things to do with engagement um, are they are complex and they require lots of people to be involved in them typically HR but lots of others as well Um, and if you don't have the voice of IC in there, who kind of is helping to translate that into something which is meaningful for colleagues, then lots of it is not going to succeed in the way that you want. But crucially, if IC is not there to draw around that circle of feedback and feedback what employees understand, what they feel about it, how they can they feel that they can be involved, then actually you might as well not bother with all of your engagement activities because you've got no idea whether they'll be successful or not. That's a very interesting perspective. I don't know, Don, what your view is. Obviously, you're a leadership person in terms of this <clears throat> mecca of employee engagement and this kind of shifting of, of the narrative and placement and where we sit. And, and, and where do you, how do you see the sort of the employee comms and engagement dilemma of the future, I guess? Well, I think... Justin's absolutely right that the internal comms and employee engagement are different. I think uh, employee engagement, this is a debate we often have, employee engagement is an outcome, I think, uh, whereas internal communication is one of the means by which you achieve that outcome. And I think it's sometimes dangerous to have the two things co-linked. Um, but clearly, employee engagement comes out of the employee experience. And the employee experience, as Justin said, it is massively influenced by communication in terms of how Clear you are what you're supposed to be doing, why you're doing it, the purpose of the organisation, your ability to be listened to, your ability to raise issues, uh, the, the ability of your line manager to make connections and bring things to life for you. That all enhances your experience, which leads to your engagement. But I think the two things uh, are, are quite separate. Um, which I guess leads on then to look at mm-hmm. demands on internal communication. So, Justin, you said that the future is going to be driven by changes in the economic situation, about the shift in choice, and about technology. So um, looking ahead, then, let's look at the next decade, perhaps, or the next, remaining de- remaining years of the 20s. Uh, what would be the biggest demand, do you think, Justin, on internal communication as it starts to meet, meet these new needs of organisations? I think it, 
in in some organizations there'll be a continued demand for uh, that conversation but in plenty of organizations there will be a demand to start those conversations so that there, there will be an increasing pull um, from organizations to understand uh, what what colleagues views are um, what their opinions are I, I remember um, many years ago um, working on one of the first change programs that I ever worked on actually and uh, we were talking about colleagues um, getting on board with the change and there was there was lots of rhetoric about you know how we were going to do this and what have you but the nub of what we were doing um, particularly around changing processes it was it, it was only when internal communication started to kind of unpick things that that it became really obvious that you could say anything you liked you could change anything you liked in in some of these processes but the people on the ground who were actually doing this day to day were the ones who could actually scupper your chances of changing anything for the better and actually you not even know they're doing it because they know the processes they know how to do these things they know all of the shortcuts they do it every single day if you don't get their input then actually you can try and change these things and and it'll never happen and that was quite a hard lesson to learn uh, in that change program we didn't get over it fortunately but but it was quite a hard lesson to learn so i think you know that that either starting or continuing that conversation will be a big demand. I think the other thing that's going to be really, really um, top of our list, but also hard to achieve, and it goes back a little bit to what, what Kat was saying earlier, is the customization of the content. So in our everyday lives, we are so used to having things at our fingertips, easy to find, easy to use, easy to interact with, um, being able to make choices, based on whether those things are easy to use and easy to find. Um, we're gonna we demand that of work. So, you know, our our old intranets that were not optimized for mobile had stacks of archive files on them because people found it useful for their own purposes to stick them on there. Um, those things are, are something of the past. There will be much more of a demand from colleagues to actually be able to interact with these things in a useful, quick way, in a way that they're used to doing in their personal lives. Um, and that's that's happening. And lots of organizations are, are doing that. Um, lots of organizations are beginning to curate content. But that the, it will only get more and more of a demand. It will only get quicker, that demand. Uh, so we have to be able to respond to that. We have to be able to give people what they need to do their jobs and achieve the outcomes of the organization quickly, easily, and without fuss. I, I think that, God, that's so interesting on so many levels, because what that makes me think about is that actually where we are at right now is facing into a complete recalibration of the employee-employer relationship insofar as up until now, in spite of the rising demand for career customization, um, the the relationship has been skewed towards employer command and control 
And so to your point about content customization, Justine, that's one angle of it. But let's have a think about for a moment how deciding which mediums and channels to use to distribute communication information is largely down to your IT department who, as experts in information technology, would assume that they know best about the mediums and the channels. And yet, employees, staff, co-workers, whatever they are, because I'm not convinced they'll be as skewed towards permanent employment as we've seen in the past either, Mm -hmm. but they will want to receive salient information on a channel of their choice. And if they're not fans of Slack or Blue Jeans or Yammer or whatever, they just won't tune into it. And therefore, you can craft as compelling a message as you like. But what's interesting to me in that score is how willing will all of our colleagues be to relinquish some of the command and control around, well, I'm the authority on Mm -hmm. digital platforms within the workplace, and therefore you will all do as I say. I think that we have this amazing opportunity as internal comms professionals to set the scene and sow the seeds of, you know, everything is different now. Everything is very different now. And the only way that we will navigate this cohesively is through two-way communication and information sharing. So actually, for me, what this all bleeds into is, in addition to the core activities of communicating what needs to be communicated within that organizational setting, there's um. There's also an overarching element of embodied communication, which is that we role model how great productive communication takes place in pursuit of these optimal outcomes. Because if we don't have role models within the organizations actually showcasing, this is how you resolve conflict, this is how you share more collegiately and all of those things, we're nowhere, right? Yeah. Absolutely. It's so fascinating and it will be so fascinating. I mean, what a great time to be an internal communicator and somebody who is involved in organisational change. I mean, it is, there is so much opportunity and yet so much challenge that it's, it's going to be fascinating. And I think that point about command and control is so important. And And it also then comes into the debate about, you know, how many years have we been saying that email is dead? And yet every time you do any kind of survey, colleagues say, yeah, well, the only way that I ever know that anything's happening is if it ends up in my inbox or in my calendar. It's that it's that real kind of in the organizational construct. How do we manage to move things forward, respond to this need for curated and customized content, and yet still be able to reach people. And and then, you know, throw in things like um, the need to work in a regulated environment, the need to be able to keep um, some controls, because you need to be able to do that in, in certain organizations. I mean, it's, it's a proper mind-bending challenge but it's also a really exciting one and and you're absolutely right the role that internal comms plays is vital 
And and I think, you know, we are on that cusp of actually more leaders, more organizations recognizing what we um what we bring. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, a pet peeve of mine, and it's just purely by dint of this is the industry that I emanated, you know, I come from. Mm. Um digital communications technology, there's this overarching narrative that narrative, I beg your pardon, that um digital communication technology is the solution to everything. Yeah. And and I I would ask you, I mean I have my own views, but I would ask you, what do you feel the biggest advantage of digital comms has been and what would you feel its biggest drawback has been? Do you know, I think for me, it's kind of two sides of the same coin, really. One one of the biggest advantages, and certainly when I look back at, you know, kind of pre-digi times and what we're doing, one of the biggest advantages has been that ability to draw together a group of people that previously you would never have been able to do. And, and you know, if we're talking organizations, global organizations, you know, when I first worked in a global organization, um, communicating with colleagues all around the world was really difficult and really slow. Um, so, but now, as in life, now the world has got much smaller we've got closer together we're more connected and the, and the world world and communications has got so much quicker so that's brilliant because we're closer together and we can communicate much more quickly with each other and and at greater depth but that's really hard because you have more people in the conversation and you're being you're closer to more people and you have to do it at such pace to keep up and that mm. that is that's properly challenging mm. I have um a, 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 an old colleague of mine he used to use this analogy and I think it's a brilliant one he said um you know trying to keep up with these things it's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant yeah. and I I just think that's a really good yeah. you know uh, visual representation of the speed at which we are deluged mm. by information mm -hmm. And how do you know what to respond to first? Exactly. And, and you know, we as internal communicators, a lot of the time um, have to capture people's attention um, mm. because there are the organizational things that are important that we are that we're communicating. We have to capture people's attention. But, you know, as recent studies have shown, people's attention spans are much shorter. They're, they're very fleeting. And so in that competing world of all of this stuff that we have to communicate, we've somehow got to get across all of these things, which frankly might be quite boring, but they're also really important. So that, in you know, if you put all those important things in the middle of the fire hydrant, how the hell are you going to manage to get those into, into people? And that's really interesting as well. And it kind of segues a little bit back into a conversation that Jen Dom and I had in a previous episode. You know, um, what captures our attention? Are we thinking creatures that feel or feeling yeah. creatures that think? And of course, we're feeling creatures yeah. that yeah. think. And so the requirement for an emotional connection point is paramount. But of course, that then sits in direct opposition with the way that many organizations have traditionally 
manage themselves. And arguably, I mean, yes, the pandemic has brought about a humanization of work in some quarters. I wonder if that will continue once we return to our workplaces. But actually, in terms of team cohesion and that point about engagement, we connect, we engage when we're emotionally stimulated to do so, don't we? Sorry, this all comes back to the value of the leaders because increasingly, well, yes, it's, it's the case that leaders contribute to communication by translation and conversation. So all this stuff is going on. There's lots of information. Where leaders really help, I think, is to help their people make sense of it all, sift through it, take out what's important, understand what it means to them, and start to think about their emotional response. So I think one of the biggest things we find with leaders now is to convince them that their job is not always to communicate, so not always to broadcast. It's a lot around helping people make sense of stuff. Mm. So arguably then... Sorry, I beg your pardon. I was going to ask both of you because you have this extensive leadership comms uh, experience where it, 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 it is an absolute paramount um, sort of prerequisite of a modern leader to have exceptional communication skills. I mean, look, we only have to look at what's going on in government at the moment to know that it is being prioritized as such. But you also, there's there's an embodied communication piece. You can have the best strategy in the world, but you also need authenticity and relatability and accessibility and all kind of attributes that we've never really had to think about of our leaders before. Yes, I mean, mm. without getting political about it, you only need to look at in the UK at the Prime Minister and the opposition. Uh, you could argue that in terms of popularity, it shouldn't be like it is. And one of the reasons I think is that it's the ability of the Prime Minister to connect with people, uh, which the Labour opposition doesn't have at the moment. And that's a real indication to me every day of the importance of being, being authentic, but also being able to connect. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the, the when I think about the best leaders that I've worked for and had that personal relationship with, the ones where that's been most fulfilling and most successful have been those leaders who've been able to demonstrate empathy. And in empathy, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people read sympathy for empathy at their peril. Um, but the one, you know, those leaders who understand people can put themselves in their shoes and understands motivation and what they need to do to motivate people to do what what they need them to do. Those are the leaders where I think certainly from a comms perspective, it's been most fulfilling and most successful. Um, and And I say, you know, it's not sympathy because lots of those empathetic leaders have done really, really difficult things, but they have been able to take people with them, mainly because they have been able to look at it from the colleague's point of view, and they have been able to translate some of those really difficult and complex things that are going on in a way that's relatable. People still don't like it, particularly if it has a detrimental impact on their daily life, but at least they understand it and they know and can see that the leader understands the impact it has on them. 
This is so fascinating to just listen to you all and the challenges that we've got. And there's, so I think in this in this episode, we've talked about so many advantages. I take on that connectedness, that pace, that agility, open up accessibility, whether that's locality, whether that's level, whether that's role, whether it's that unification. But then there's also this this, this point around it's an enabler. It's not necessarily an answer. It has to still be built upon great human behavior great human empathetic style behavior that is authentic and but coupled with that what I think that we've talked about as well is this it's the pace and I've said this in a previous episode as well I find pace is a real problem and I think that some of our listeners as well is sort of they're probably being asked today well you know we're going to hybrid working digital is the answer switch that on we can all be connected um how do I get this message across how do we change this 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 system how do we make restructuring work how do we change you know the way we operate how do we move this in and so are we sometimes in danger I think of of that pace and with so much choice and so much demand and so much preference and the need of it to be built on human connection it's very overwhelming for someone to to have all those answers and you know we're not necessarily sitting here today saying we can walk away saying do this do now but I guess my my question as to around around this office we're talking about the future of work and the future of internal communication to you all perhaps is what's the one piece of advice that we can do or offer our listeners today is it about about saying slow down is it about allowing people things to think or is it about moving or agiling or listening or tuning in I mean what do we do today in the future of work and that one piece of advice that perhaps we should consider when we're thinking about our future strategies I don't know um, Justine if you've got particularly one, one piece of advice that you would give today yeah I, I would say you know if you when you are in the midst of this, you're right, it's really overwhelming. Um, and and there there is a temptation to say slow down, but I think very few of it, you know, most most people listening to this will probably slightly snigger if if we say slow down slow down because then they're being asked to speed up it, if anything. I think I, I what I would say is and and this links back a bit to, to what Kat was saying earlier, is you need to um, learn you need to ask questions you need to demand of your other colleagues their perspectives so for example with your technology colleagues you have to learn what is possible what is desirable what is actually going to um to fly if you're going to put forward particularly new channels um and and going back to this idea that we're emotional people rather than than um than thinking with our intellect all of the time, um, helping those colleagues, particularly in some of those functions where actually technical is is the preeminent thing, helping them to understand why actually thought and intellect is not enough. That's very, I love that. Well, about from your point of view, Dom. Well, I think I, I might revert to type on this and say biggest piece of advice to internal communicators is to mobilize and enable your leaders to have great conversations. So I think um, as 
we're looking at all these chains we've been talking about, people are going to want to talk about them. And they're going to want to talk about them with people they trust. And all the evidence shows, and there was a survey from the Institute last year, I think, that people trust their line managers more than any other source of communication. And they look to their line managers for support because they trust them most of the time. So I think the more you can do to enable those people to have the confidence and the skills to have good conversations, that will set you in good stead to help people start to make sense of stuff as, as the, the decade progresses. And there's a lot to go, Kat. And as our, our resident sort of future of work, you know, there's so many trends going on. What do you th- do you see when you're tuning into that future of work, the one biggest or biggest amount of change or thing that's kind of coming towards us that as a profession we perhaps need to, to prepare for today, but in that ne- sort of next 10-year period, which is quite scary, really. <laughs> I don't want to overwhelm listeners I think what I would be focusing on and it's something that I try and focus on myself every day is uh, understanding to the best of my ability the psychology of change and how we change as individuals so I would be encouraging listeners to think about episodes in their lives where they've undergone a significant transition And think about what the psychological ingredients are. So one thing that we know to be true is. That in order for us to change, so so we either change voluntarily or we have change imposed upon us. And actually what we seek in all of those scenarios is, is a truth, a version of the future that, will, that looks better for us today um, because we need to eliminate as much overwhelm. So we need to kind of buy into a better future. Um, and, and then I would think about, and, and these, are big, these are big changes in and of themselves because I don't think these are the ways in which we've typically undertaken change within our organizations. But for me, two of the best examples of behavioral change programs are Weight Watchers and Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I think about those, um, and I've attended one, Weight Watchers, not the other, but you think about how those programs are structured. You have the check-ins, but you have the, like the weigh-in, but you have the, the weekly shared experience that the meetings you know the Weight Watchers people will always say that the meetings are the most important bit and it's that checking in and the comparing the notes the stories the wins the lose you know the losses what works for me what didn't work for me and so on so I would say to anybody in the internal comms space at this point in time internal comms and change are if they haven't already going to collide like two sides of the same coin and going back to my previous point about embodied communication think beyond you know the written word think about the experience of change and how we change as individuals because we're all going to be continuously changing tack together so how do we harness that sense of togetherness to heighten engagement and community and solidarity to get to the other side whatever that even is does that make sense it does it does I think it does and I think 
you know, I love recording these because we come on as a conversation and it's just hearing those those points of view and, and just talking and thinking out loud. And, you know, and, and that's what we need to do as a community. And, you know, there is so much change to come. There is continued. But well, we've been through it before. And I think that let's not, not look back. We're not, you know, since the dawn of time. Uh, I remember once being in an engagement cinema and, sort of, and everyone's going on about change. I was like, this isn't new. It's just we need to, the infrastructure perhaps and the way we deliver it around us has changed. Um, so we need to keep working at the art of it, but making sure we work alongside the technology to, to be the best it can to enable us. Um, that's been a really thought-provoking uh, conversation. I've really enjoyed listening to it. I hope you've all enjoyed engaging in it. And, um, you know, in our future episodes, we're going to talk about actually that behavioural aspect, about what has the, the post-pandemic as well done to our behaviour as humans? And I think that we need to understand that behavioural change so that we layer communication and the right embodiment or the right environment so that we drive strategies that build into that to that behaviour that we now have or that we seek to desire or the good that we're trying to get to, even though we're not even sure what the good that we're trying to get to is um but thank you all um hopefully our listeners will tune in for the next episode when we will unpick more of this and thank you to justine for, for coming on and sharing your experiences and your wisdom and to dom and cat as always for my co-host and we'll hopefully tune in with you all again very soon this podcast has been brought to you today by the institute of internal communication and is produced by jessica williams and Shabi Tolu Ogun Polu.